Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cash That Podcast. This is your host, Joe Delera. Uh, wanted to release this episode a bit later than normal. Uh, you know, normally these episodes come out a little before midnight Eastern time. But I did want to be able to watch this Lakers Nuggets game, have an opportunity to kind of look at it, assess it a bit and touch on that. But I did want to start off with my best bets for the game one opener between the Celtics and the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. Then we'll dive into a little bit of the Western Conference Finals again. So for today, some of my favorite bets in this game are, I really do like Miami plus eight and a half. I'm going to take them a little bit on the money line as well. You can get that as high as plus 300. Um, I also like Al Horford over six and a half rebounds, a little sprinkle on double, double. You can get that at, at least 10 to one. And I like Jason Tatum over four and a half assists. That's my favorite play for this game. Um, and we can kind of dive right into some of those angles here, but the reason, one of the things that's interesting about this game, right. And there's, there's obviously the, there's a stat about, teams coming off of game sevens and how they perform in the following game one and the rest actually does tend to matter right um when we're looking at this game since 1988 teams coming off a game seven win are 33 and 32 and 52 straight up in the following game one so that's 36.5 percent win rate and they lose the series generally they only win the series 42.4 percent of the time so that was a stat that Raheem Palmer wrote uh for the Action Network when he had originally uh, been with us uh, now he's with the ringer but the stat has been it's kind of held true and a lot of it talks about you know obviously the attrition like you're getting you're coming in with a rest disadvantage which I think matters but I think in this spot right I think it matters a little bit more against a Miami team that could actually use that extra bit of rest. But then also, I think it matters because you have Spo, right? So you have this coach, you have one of the best coaches, if not the best coach in the NBA. He's getting a rest advantage to, while it helps, you know, repair your players a little bit, give them an opportunity to recover. The really, the really good thing here is that Spo has a little bit of extra time to consider the game, consider the series, consider the spot. And for Miami, you get an opportunity to maybe steal a game on the road because you have the opportunity to prepare a little bit more. You have the opportunity to game plan a little bit more. And you have the opportunity to, you know, be able to turn it off for a couple of days and then kind of get back into it, which I think is critical here because Boston, they were down in that series. And then you have to go play an emotional game six where you really don't think that you can win. Uh, or maybe they did think they could win rather, but you know, they, they were struggling. They were losing that game for a large portion of the game. And then in game seven where you also were losing and you really had to come back and Tatum early had to put his best foot forward with that incredible game seven performance. So I think that when we look at this, both of these teams are interesting, right? Because Boston should probably win this series in five games. If that, you know, maybe honestly, even a sweep, they're a much better team on paper, despite the fact that Jimmy Butler is arguably the best player on the court in this series. Right. When you look at this spot though, 
Boston, they tend to let teams hang around. And Miami is that team that just hangs around. They really game plan well. They never give up a game. They never stop fighting. And we have this where you can get this heat on the series spread at plus two and a half games at about minus 130. If you're paying a lot of juice for this, I think you should look at over five and a half games because I struggle to see Boston not only losing the series, but not even but failing to also win two games. So this is a kind of a way to bet bet it at different juice, but plus two and a half games being at that value, I think is lunacy here because you're basically just betting on the series going six games, in my opinion. So I'm betting Miami on the series spread at the plus two and a half. And I do think that they get some value here in game one, where you're getting them at plus eight and a half on the spread, plus 300 on the money line. The numbers are just too far. And I know like we've talked about how teams tend to, when they, if they're underdogs and they cover, they have also win. And when they're favorites and they, and they win, they also cover, right? But I do think that that's not that's a trend, right? It's a it's a stat that you look at, but it doesn't necessarily imply like causation. So when you look at those types of things, you need to look at it and say like, all right, well, I understand the spot. I understand how this has generally gone right in the playoffs. But I think that you have to be able to look at these games and look at these numbers and say this shouldn't or doesn't apply here. For this reason. And I think that there's just too much value at the eight and a half and too much at the plus 300 on the money line where you have these two teams that have played each other. Well, they've played each other. Uh, they played each other last year. I mean, this is not the first time that these two teams have played each other recently in a format such as these or such as this. And, you know, Miami was able to force six games. So I think that this is a game too where Boston, they take a lot of threes. It's something that Miami allows. It's also something Miami takes a lot of as well. And when you have that type of shot variance, you're giving underdogs, especially Miami, with arguably the best player on the floor with Jimmy Butler, you're giving them the opportunity to steal a game here and there. And that's why I really like them. I think that the rest advantage is significant today. So I think that today is one of the games that Miami is able to steal where, you know, the price in the series does, isn't necessarily reflective of that. So if you really believe in that as well, and you still think Boston's going to win, you can bet on the Heat game one Celtics series parlay, and you get that at plus 450, which I think is worth a look in this situation. So I want to talk about some of these player props as well. And as you guys know, I always put out my my player prop forecast comes out. So we crushed it for game one of the Western Conference Finals. But I want to dive into the Eastern Conference Finals and some of why I like some of these plays here, right? So like I mentioned, I think that this is a coaching advantage for the Miami Heat. You know, we got Joey Mozzarella over here, his first playoffs. I think he's, I think he's done a pretty good job, honestly. But at the same time, it's Spo. And I think that a lot of the adjustments that can be made are going to be from what Miami can do in terms of their scheme, right? But this is, it's going to open up some opportunities here 
because we kind of know what Boston's going to do, right? So they said that th- that Robert Williams is going to remain in the starting lineup. I think that this is particularly interesting, and here's why. With Robert Williams in the starting lineup, he it doesn't necessarily translate, in my opinion, to an increased role in terms of his minutes, right? So we know he started game six and seven. It didn't really translate to rebounds. He had nine and five in those starts. But from a matchup perspective, I don't really love this spot for Robert Williams. And in the nine games he's played against Miami over the last two seasons, granted, like, you know, he's had some injuries and stuff like that. He's only averaging 24 minutes per game and 6.8 rebounds per game. So my thought with Robert Williams is it allows Miami to play Kevin Love because it, like I get that it clogs the paint a little bit for Bam, but what I think it does is it allows them to play Kevin Love because on the defensive side, we kind of know that Robert Williams' skill set is a little bit limited in terms of what he can do with the basketball, right? He's more of a slasher, like little loop guy, offensive rebound, dunk. That's what he does. Kevin Love, great rebounder. So he has the opportunity to box out Robert Williams in those head-to-head matchups. Additionally, it let, then allows Bam Adebayo to be used not on Robert Williams, in my opinion. It allows him to be used outside, roaming as a helper. And that's how Bam is most valuable defensively. I think Miami is happy to see the Robert Williams in the starting lineup. Because they're allowed, they're able to then use Kevin Love, who can provide a little bit more offense against this Boston Celtics team and, you know, potentially stretch them out a bit. So I think that this move, even though he's staying in the starting lineup, I don't know if this is a move that will go on for the whole series. I don't really like him in this spot, to be honest with you. And when we're looking at this, one of the one of my favorite bets, and you guys see these, like I love these series leader bets. And I really like Al Horford at 30 to 1 to lead the series in rebounds. And that's with Robert Williams still in the starting lineup right now. Because Al Horford's minutes, in my opinion, are basically bulletproof. Um, he's averaging, you know, over 30 minutes a game. And while Tatum, he's averaging 10.6 rebounds per game in the playoffs. He's the favorite. He has not been the favorite in either of the previous two series when we bet on him. And that was where there was a lot of value. But now I think that it's overinflated because of the matchups against Atlanta and Philly. Bam averages 9.2. He's plus 260. I don't hate it, but just the way that Bam plays defense, he's often drawn out of the paint. And I think, like I mentioned before, I could see some games where, you know, he's really taken outside of the paint and he's not seeing, he's not really getting as many rebounds just because of what he can do defensively. What I like here is that Horford gives Boston a lot of offensive and defensive versatility, right? So we see him make a lot of threes. You can see him work in the post. You can see him kind of man up on anybody defensively. And, you know, he he obviously gave Joel Embiid some problems. He's somebody that can cover Bam out of bio himself. He could cover Kevin Love. He's a little bit more switchable. Uh, and what he can do in terms of his scheme on the defensive end, I think is really interesting. In 
12 games against Miami over the past two years, he's averaging 35 minutes a game and nine rebounds per game. So and he led the series last year in only six games. He had the average 10 assists or 10 rebounds per game for 60 total rebounds and led the series in rebounds in this exact matchup. Obviously it's a little bit different, right? There's a little bit of different personnel, but here is mostly the same. And he's averaging 7.6 rebounds per game during this playoffs. You can bet him at over six and a six point seven rebounds per game at DraftKings. And that's something that me, uh, Matt Moore, Brandon Anderson, we all liked when we recorded buckets. Uh, so I'm just reiterating that for you guys here. And the thing that's important, right, is I think this series goes a little bit further. So 6.7 rebounds when you bet these markets right these per game markets you always need to extrapolate like how many he actually needs in a series so like i don't i don't really think this will be a sweep but let's just say for math's sake right let's just do it this way uh you would need 27 rebounds in a four game series in a five game series he needs 34 in a six game series he needs 41 and in a seven game series he needs 47. So those are numbers that he can absolutely hit. But when you bet these markets, you need to look at the number that they're giving you. And I'll, I'm going to talk about a number that we gave out for Jokic that I thought was interesting, right? With the 6.7, you got to multiply it obviously by however many games, and then you have to round up. So I, you know, I had a conversation with somebody and they were like, well, why, like, why would you round up? Like, it's, you know, that's that wouldn't be the way you round here. The thing is, in order for them to exceed the rebound total, like the prop that they're offering, you have to go over. So it's like these these things are binary. Like you can't get a partial rebound. So you have to go over it. So you have to consider that in your calculus as well, like what the actual number is that they need to have per per game, per scenario, right? So I think that that's particularly interesting. And we what we notice is, and I'll, I'll touch on this later, but we gave out Jokic at 1.33s per game. They moved it to 1.43s per game. The thing that was interesting about that is it changed the number of threes that Jokic needed to make from eight to nine in a six-game series based on the way the, the number was, just that little bit of a decimal. So all the other games stayed the same. But in six, instead of needing eight, he needed nine. So you, you really need to think about this because if you think that the most likely outcome is like a team wins in six or a team wins in seven, then those little decimals start to matter slightly more because of where it can kind of bump you up to. So just something, just something to keep in mind when you're doing these. The other angle that I really like here, I want to talk about this prop, right, is Jason Tatum uh, to go over four and a half assists. He's gone over this line in 10 of 13 playoff games. He's averaging 5.2 assists per game on 8.8 .8 potentials. So normally, I don't like to bet on assists props that would require an over 50% conversion rate on someone's potentials. However, I think that there's a little bit of nuance to this, right? Like in the regular season, makes sense. Point guards, I think actually, especially it makes sense, right? Because with point guards, unless you have a point guard that's on a team where the team is 
you know, their, their efficiency is through the roof just generally. But even then, you know, players shoot like about 50%. You expect about a 50% conversion rate. The reason I like this for Tatum, and I don't mind going over the 50% mark for him, is that teams are focusing in on him. They're keying in on Tatum. And the looks that he's able to generate for other players, his teammates, I think are better, right? So they, they're cleaner looks and they're higher quality looks because of the fact that the defense is really bending around him to try to cover him. So it's a different situation and it's something that I think is really interesting, right? Uh, so I think that over four and a half assists today, I really like it. I think that Miami is going to, you know, send extra people at him uh, and try to slow him down. So I, I really do like the spot here. Um, additionally, you know, he's averaging 5.2 assists per game during the playoffs. And last year in the same matchup, he averaged 5.6 per game against Miami. Uh, obviously, they added Brogdon, Derek White, like some of these things changed the analysis a bit. But it's 7-1 to one to lead the series in assists at bet 365. I think the number is crazy. The other player that I like to lead the series in assists is Kyle Lowry. Uh, I got it at like 30 to one, um, but I think it's down to 16 to one now. I still think it's worth a little bit of a play here. Um, what Lowry was able to do in the last series was interesting because he averaged 5.7 assists on 11.5 potentials, including a nine assist game in the closeout in New York. Right. So I think it's worth a sprinkle because Miami's rotations kind of getting thinner. I think that him and Marcus Smart can just have a flop contest. It's going to be dynamite. And I think that between one of them, like, yeah, sure. Jimmy should be favored. Right. But I don't love the number on Marcus Smart. I think the margins are a little bit too thin for him. Uh, and, you know, there's always, there's literally just always like a suspension risk with like Marcus Smart. Like that just, that just seems to be the way it is. So I, I am a little concerned about that, but I do like both Tatum and Lowry to lead the series in assists. I think that you're getting some pretty good value on both of those guys. So I really want to talk about this um, Denver Lakers series, right? Fascinating series for so many reasons. One of the things that I think is most interesting is these teams didn't play at the fastest pace, but the offensive efficiency was absolutely preposterous, right? Um, these teams last night, they Denver's offensive rating was a 136.1 and the Lakers was a 131.3. Neither of these teams is stopping the other one, apparently, right? Uh, I think what I'm most like fascinated about by this though is the pace was just 97.5. Are these teams going to continue shooting and scoring this way? Like we know that the defense on both especially the Lakers defense has been really good. Denver's defense, they're not really known for their defense, obviously, but their offense is incredible. You I'm watching this game and I'm like. Who is stopping anybody here, right? What I thought was interesting, though, was the Lakers started to do stuff in the second half 
my concern okay this let me get a, let me rephrase this my concern for denver is that they only won this game by six points because this is a game where they in my opinion were dominating from front to back and they just could not put the lakers away and when you let a team hang around like that it gives them a little bit of you know hope and denver should have won that game denver 7 and 0 at home so far during the playoffs but at the same time the gap between these teams is not the ocean that i think people think it is right denver's really good it's really weird to watch a series that involves lebron james where lebron james is not the best player on the court but that's what we're seeing in jokic right the thing about this series is that the Nuggets have more adjustments they can make in terms of scheme simply because you have Jokic. Uh, he can do a little bit of everything. He can pass. He can score. He, you know, he can shoot on the perimeter if he wants to. He can beat you down in the post. He can, you know, run high post. You, you know, you could see some inverted screens from him. There's so much you can do. He can do. The thing for the Lakers and Darvin Ham, though, is that they have more people. And I'm curious because in this late in like the fourth quarter, right? The Lakers had a good fourth quarter. What I'm curious about, though, is they put Rui Hachimura on Jokic directly, which I like. That's something that I thought they might do in this series. What I think is particularly interesting about that, though, right? is that they made that move late in the game. I don't know if it's something that they were like, well, let's try this right now. Or if it was them saying like, this is one of our punches. We think that we can win this game right now. And like, you know, we have the opportunity to, to take this over. So we're going to, we're going to throw one of our, one of our cards here. Like we're going to try to do this. That's that should really be the concern uh, and the question as for Lakers fans. Do I think he should start next game? Yeah, absolutely. The thing about it though is Jokic just like like if you think this is gonna work for that long, you are out of your fucking mind. Jokic is gonna figure this out, and it's gonna be fine for them in the long run. The thing is, you just have to slow him down. A little bit like you got to you got to do something to slow them down. And this might be an option because it lets AD work a little bit more as a roamer and he can help off of his guy on the Jokic uh, a bit. And then he can also work in the paint. I think this is really, really important for L.A. because on the course of the season, they and this is a stat from uh, at Tim underscore NBA, uh, Cranjus McBasketball. He is the, um, he's the head of, or the founder of B-Ball Index. So in the regular season, they helped on over 70% of Jokic plays. In the first half, he was score. He, he was mostly playing one-on-one in the post. And he scored 1.33 points per possession. In the second half, he saw a lot more help. Only 27% of his possessions were with no help in the second half. And they made those looks a little bit more difficult. 
obviously he was still awesome, right? But this disparity in terms of what was being we were watching on the court was narrowed significantly. Um, and I think that that's important. It's just about slowing him down and keep allowing him to operate without help is not going to slow him down. Um, it's really hard to put Anthony Davis on him, I think, one-on-one because you're lo- part of what's so good about Anthony Davis is his quickness, his length, his versatility, like what he can do for you and like what he can do in terms of helping off of his man uh, working in the rotations, like work, like staying in the paint and clogging up that area for def- for the defense, right? When you put him one-on-one on Jokic, Jokic can still win that matchup because he's so good and so talented in every way offensively. Then you take Anthony Davis basically out of what he does best. Like, he's a great one-on-one defender, sure. But I think what he does best is he really locks in the team defense. Like, you can put him on somebody one-on-one if you need to, but I don't think that that's a recipe for long-term success for this Lakers team just because you lose so many of the other things that he then starts to do. So I do think that we're going to see Rui on Jokic for a portion. I bet the Lakers at plus six uh, for this game. I think that... Denver threw a punch. The Lakers, they LeBron also like traditionally has not been great in game ones, especially as an underdog. Game two, I think he comes back. This team is able to regroup. I think that Darvin Ham has shown that he is, I think he's I think he's becoming or he is like a good coach. Um, and he's willing to make adjustments. The thing is, too, normally, and Matt Moore uh, of the Action Network obviously has talked about this before about how teams don't like to make the first adjustment because it basically means that you, it's kind of like you're getting put in rotation. Um, So teams don't generally like to make the first adjustment because it kind of shows that like you needed to make a change. It's taking you out of what you wanted to do. The thing is, like I mentioned before, the Lakers have more personnel. Like they have more things that they can do. And I think that that's critically important for them like they can try things they can experiment with things because they have more that they can do whereas you know malone is a little bit more constrained in terms of what will work another thing that i thought was interesting right is that lebron was basically straight up attacking jamal murray and that is just not something that denver is going to have the ability to deal with if they allow that to keep happening one-on-one i think that there's an opportunity maybe to bet on some LeBron points props moving forward. Uh, the, you know, he, he ha- obviously had a good game one, but I am a little concerned about the ceiling for him, right? Because this is a little bit non-traditional. And now we've seen the last two games in, you know, the closeout against the Warriors and then this game against Denver, he took 11 free throws, which is a significant spike up from his full season numbers at 5.9 free throws per game. The other thing is he didn't take any threes last night, which I think is fascinating because those numbers have kind of declined over the course of the season for him anyway. Um, where he's only taking, you know, he was taking 6.8 on the season, but then in the playoffs, you know, we've started to see that drop. And in his last five, he's only taking 5.4 threes per game. 
I think this is interesting because it's not really a thing that he's done well this year. Like he hasn't shot the three ball that well this year. With that in mind, then you have to think, can he hit his points props 25 and a half? Can he get there again? Or is a lot, a little bit too much of it reliant on the free throws because he was a little bit more passive in game one, looking to be a little bit more of a distributor and really attacking Jamal Murray and seeing what that opens up for the rest of the offense. So I think it's a fascinating spot. I think that it's a spot where now LeBron's three-point line is set at two and a half. I think that that's something you can consider an under for. It's gross. It's like minus 180, depending on the book that you're at. But in the playoffs, he's only gone over this in four of 14 games. So that means he's gone under in 10. He's gone under in 10 of the 14 games, including zero three-point attempts uh, in this spot against Denver in game one. So that's definitely that's definitely a spot and an angle that I'll be looking to target in game two. But I just wanted to wrap up with this, like one last thought that I have on this game uh, and game two in this series is that what we have to consider, right, for the Lakers and for the Nuggets is I think that both teams, both teams are going to make slow adjustments um, and they're not going to necessarily want to like totally re-up everything that they kind of came into and planned for. However, what we've seen in the games that the Lakers have lost is they make these adjustments late and then they put them in the next game and they both basically say like, this worked, we're going to modify it maybe a little bit more, look at the film and we're going to do it again next game. I think that there's some value maybe in taking the Lakers early next game just to see how Denver reacts to what they what they did and the fact that they I think that they should carry some of this over and the rotations from Denver are a little bit more interesting because you're seeing a little bit less Jokic in the second quarter so you can kind of get a little bit better of a line I think for the Lakers in the first half just because you kind of know what the rotations are whereas at the end of close games rotations start to really tighten up and you're going to see obviously more of those Denver stars on the floor which isn't necessarily great for the Lakers, obviously. Um, with that, though, uh, I'm going to leave you with a quick pods and recs. Um, one of the things that I would recommend right now is obviously, you know, it's like the weather's getting nice. Get outside, take a little walk here. Um, you know, get the get the cardio going. What we bought, though, you know, it's kind of like fruit season, right? So I we bought this. I don't even know how to describe it. I guess it's a fruit bowl, but the fruit bowl, I think the big thing with, with fruits, vegetables, stuff like that is I feel like they always go bad when you have them in the little, like the containers that they come in. Right. What, what do you call them? The, the clamshells. So I feel like they always go bad. I always feel like they need to be washed. Then I'm like, did I wash these? Do you need to wash these? Like, what's the deal? Got like a fruit bowl and it's one of those like airtight kind of ones. Wash the fruit, clean it, throw it in there. Kind of makes like a fruit salad. Dramatically improves my relationship with fruit and like eating fruit. So it's like I'm I'm a big chip guy. I'm trying to lose some weight for my wedding. It is tough sledding. Let me tell you, when you turn, I'm 31 now. Man, I just don't lose weight the way that I used to. 
but the fruit having that as like a healthy option, I think has been wonderful. I felt pretty good lately. You know, it gives you something. It's not, it's not a chip. And uh, you know, it's, there's something refreshing about, you know, a good strawberry, good piece of pineapple, uh, you know, a little bit of blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, just mix it all in there. It's, it's really a grand old time. So I'm going to recommend, (laughs) I'm going to recommend washing your fruit and uh, throwing it in a fruit bowl. So that way you can enjoy it throughout the week and it's a little bit more readily available. Uh, additionally, so I'm doing, I, as you guys know, I'm getting married in July. I am doing my honeymoon in Hawaii. And one of the things that I was able to do, and this is amazing, is I was able to book like all of my flights for basically for free because of points. I love points. Um, and I am like a religious follower of the points guy. This is not a paid app, but like, I love the points guy. I think it's great. Um, the other thing with that, right. Is when you look for flights, you can kind of look and see, well, like, can I get this on points or can I get this like with cash? Like what's the deal? Well, like you can actually sometimes get first class flights for, extraordinarily cheap in terms of like the relative value of the points just because you're doing it on points. So like, I'm always like checking and seeing like, can I transfer this? Can I do this? I was able to get first class flight tickets to Hawaii for only like 10,000 more points than the regular cabin seat had to do it. It Awesome. Just awesome. So, you know, check your points check your data, check your fruit bowls, you know, and do the best that you can here. Because at the end of the day, time is money. We got to find the value and let's cash that.